This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. Today, uh, we're going to continue our way through the book of Acts. Acts is a story of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the church. And so we've been moving our way through story by story and asking not just what did, not just what did this mean then, but also what does it mean for us now. Today we'll be in Acts chapter 13, verses 4 through 12. We're going to talk about the features of a spirit-empowered life. And so that, that term spirit-empowered, what we really just mean is a life surrendered to the power of the Holy Spirit. When you see that, it might hit you in a a couple different ways, depending on your background and your experience. Some of us, we we hear about the idea of the Holy Spirit's power, a Spirit-empowered life, and we, we get very excited for that. We're eager to hear it. Others of us, maybe we're a little indifferent, maybe not even real sure what that means. And then maybe there are even some of us today that we hear the idea of a Spirit-empowered life or living in the power of the Holy Spirit or operating in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And that seems like a great idea for other Christians, right? Of just like, that's really cool, but that we, we have this false idea that somehow the empowered life of the, the Holy Spirit gives us is only for the super spiritual ones among us, right? That, that maybe that's for your grandma who really loves Jesus, for your cousin who's like spiritually hyperactive, um, or for some other people in your life. But, but what I love about Acts is it is an incredibly supernatural book, the supernatural birth of the church, And it's also an intensely practical guide for what it looks like to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so my my hope for us today is that we will understand a Spirit-empowered life is just another way of saying a Christian life. The life that we're going to see in Acts chapter 13 is the life that is available to every man, every woman, every teenager, and every child who surrenders their life to Jesus Christ. And the characteristics we'll see this morning, four of them primarily in this passage, they're not all inclusive, but they do highlight four things that we can incorporate in our life to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit on a regular basis. Um, Today's message ties very closely with last week's, uh, but we we split them into two just for the sake of going home on Sundays. Um, So Acts chapter 13, verse 4 is where we're going to start. So this, this takes place on the heels of Barnabas and Saul being called out of the church of Antioch by the Holy Spirit and sent on a missionary journey. So in verse 4 it says, The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus who was an attendant of the proconsul, Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elemus, the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elemus and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. Immediately, mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord." 
So again, we'll see four things. The first is that a spirit-empowered life is rooted in relationship. So in, in verse 4, it says that there were the two of them, Barnabas and Saul, who we know as Paul. And then in verse 5, it says, and John was also with them. Now, if you were able to, if we could go back today and, and read those opening verses of Acts chapter 13, what we would see is this entire missionary journey that culminates with the salvation of a Roman governor starts in the context of community. And so if you or I want to live in the power of the Holy Spirit, we want our lives to be invested in significant and meaningful things that will matter long after we're gone, one of the recurring messages that we get in the story of Acts is you must surrender your life to Jesus, embrace the power of the Holy Spirit, and take your place in the community that God has designed. The story of Acts is a story of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the church, and we are not designed to ever have one without the other. And so what we see in Acts 13 is Barnabas and Saul are sent out from a community with the purpose of establishing new communities. But everything they do, they're doing together. There are no Lone Ranger Christians. There's no one man or woman who's called apart from everyone else and set apart and isolated on their own. What God calls us to do for him, with him, under his power will always be done in the context of relationship with other believers. And it's with that relationship that we can hear the Spirit's voice. It's with that relationship that other believers will help us discern, is that what God spoke to me? It's in that relationship that there is accountability for the things that we attribute to the Holy Spirit. And it's in that relationship where we also find safety, security, and encouragement because sometimes when you're walking the path God has laid out for you, you will experience difficulty, right? And, and we know this in our own lives. That we need relationships because life is hard, because there are headaches and there are tragedies and there are unforeseen moments and there are difficulties that we have never navigated before. And in those spaces, one of the greatest gifts God gives to his people is a community of believers who are surrendered to the power of the Holy Spirit, willing to come alongside of us and suddenly our successes are sweeter and our lows are more bearable because this is how we're designed to live. Now, the, the challenge for us is that relationships require an intentional investment of time and energy. Right? I, I have, I've watched just over the, the last week as the Parkers, as Richard, as the Brennickies have embraced and benefited from planting themselves in a community of faith. And because they've planted themselves in a community where other believers are empowered by the Holy Spirit, they've made the investments of time and energy to be there, to serve, to show up, to be a part, not just to take, but also to give. And now in their moment of need, others have rallied around them as well. And I think all of us today, we would look at that and say, that's what I want in my life. I want to know that in the lowest moments, the darkest hours, I will not be alone. And the promise of Christian community is you will not be alone. The challenge of Christian community is you've got to show up to build those relationships. 
You have to invest in others. It has to be a priority in your energy, in your time, and on your calendar to build these type of relationships so they will mourn with you when you mourn. And also, like Paul and Barnabas, so someone will go with you when God calls you to do some new, exciting, or challenging things for him. But for many of us at times, we we have that desire of, I want the benefit of decades-long investment in relationships while only putting in one or two weekends a year. And then we wonder why no one's there. We wonder why no one answers, and it's because we don't actually know each other. When Angie and I first showed up at Christian Chapel 18 years ago, we didn't know a soul at the church. We didn't know anyone in Tulsa. We had been completely uprooted from our entire support system with a, a three-month-old baby dropped in a new town, into new jobs, and, and it wasn't easy. And the community we found was welcoming, but it wasn't an immediate embrace. It wasn't an immediate connection of hearts. It wasn't an immediate willingness of like, I know I can just stop by and they're going to be okay. It wasn't an immediate, we can text and they'll just say yes or they'll say no, but that's cool too, right? It took some time, some energy, but now 18 years down the road, we have a richness of relationship, a richness of friendship, where if something goes wrong, we actually have have to tell people to leave us alone, right? Of like, you know what? You know what we have enough of? We have enough food. We don't need any more food because I will eat all of it all of the time, right? We, we don't need anyone else to show up, right? There is nothing I love more as a pastor than when I go to the hospital to visit someone and they tell me, will you please ask people to stop coming? I just need to sleep, Right? I just need to rest. I just need to be. And it's not because they're trying to hide. It's because the community connections are so strong that they are being overwhelmed with love and support. But those things are the result of my intentional investment and your intentional investment and being and seeing community not just as a place where I go to receive, but as a place I go to give and to participate. And as God binds our hearts together, we become a community where the Holy Spirit is present and is active and where you encourage me and I encourage you and we can hear his voice, discern his path and boldly walk it in confidence. And so a spirit-empowered life, it's not a bunch of like supernatural mystical stuff. Sometimes it's just very practical things like if you want to experience the Holy Spirit, just show up. Show up to worship. Show up in a home group. Show up and serve. Show up for someone else in their moment of need. You just keep showing up. Paul and Barnabas, by this point in their friendship, they have, they've been friends for years. They've been in Antioch serving together and leading the church for a solid year. And now the Lord is calling them out together so that they will be able to support and encourage each other with the various challenges that they're going to face. But they're not content to just do it. They look for one more and they say, hey, John, why don't you come with us? And why don't you learn how this works? And later in Acts, we'll see they all split up and they begin to do different things, always bringing additional people with them as well. We are always called to community. The, the next thing we see as we work our way through Acts, this, this particular passage, is that a spirit-empowered life is a spirit-aware life. In verse four, it says the two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. And so, so again, the, the context is they, 
Barnabas and Saul are leading the church in Antioch. They're in this kind of worship environment. The Lord speaks to the church, and he tells the church, I want you to set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. They do that. They lay their hands on them. They pray, and they send them out by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so they're very much a a Holy Spirit-initiated ministry event that is about to take place. But what we see is as they continue on this Holy Spirit-inspired path, they need the ongoing direction of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit tells them, I have a work for you, but it seems like it's revealed step by step by step. And many of us, we've had the same experiences in our life. God has spoken to us about a direction to start, about a new space to step into, about a relationship to initiate, about a job to start, about a ministry to engage in. And all you've really received is just the first initial get going. And many of us, what we would like is, Lord, will you give me the get going? And then will you also give me the master plan? And then after the master plan, will you give me the detailed plan? And then after the detailed plan, will you give me the minute-by-minute plan? And once I have all of that, I will happily take the first step. And yet what we see as a Spirit-empowered life is a life where we understand the Holy Spirit is living and active. And He desires an ongoing relationship with us where He speaks and leads and guides on a day-by-day, sometimes moment-by-moment basis. So Barnabas and Saul model this for us. If the Holy Spirit says go, and they start going. And they get on a ship, and it's the Holy Spirit who's telling them when to get off and when to stay on. It's the Holy Spirit when they land in each town that's directing them where to go, sometimes to the Jewish synagogues, sometimes to other people. It's the Holy Spirit who's arranging uh, interactions with them for various people in various places. The Spirit-empowered life is not a life where you say, one time, a long time ago, I had some really powerful and personal encounters, and then I've just kind of done whatever I wanted since. It's a life where you say, I experience the power of the Holy Spirit. I've been transformed by Jesus. And every day when I read the scriptures, I ask the Holy Spirit to speak to me. And every day when I drive to work, I ask the Holy Spirit to use me. And every day when I'm interacting with my spouse, I invite the Holy Spirit into that place. And in every parenting moment, I'm asking the Holy Spirit for his gifts of wisdom. And in every point of need, I'm asking the Spirit for gifts of faith. I have never arrived at a place where I no longer need the Holy Spirit. We are being invited not into an event of spirit empowerment, but into an ongoing process of spirit-directed, spirit-surrendered, spirit-dependent living. Now, there's two challenges we face to that as, as we kind of go along. One of them is some of us have believed the lie that we have failed too much to be used by the Holy Spirit. And and on the other side of that, some of us have given in to the lie that we have succeeded to the point we no longer need the direction of the Holy Spirit. And so so let's just think about both of those options. On the one side is this idea of, I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe that Jesus saves and forgives. He gives the Holy Spirit to his people to lead us and guide us. I just think I've screwed up too much for that. And and so it's, it's fascinating. No one ever actually comes out and says it this way, but there's this implication sometimes in the lives of some believers of, I know I'm not good enough for salvation, but I believe Jesus gives me that out of pity. And he gives me that out of pity, and now now he's given it to me, but I know I'm never going to be good enough for the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit, he's for the ones who are really spiritual. He's for the ones who are really gifted. He's for the ones who are really serious or studious. 
He's for the ones who really got it together. He's for the ones who grew up in church. He's the one, for the ones who know the language and, and know the jargon and, and, and are comfortable in the environments. And, and that's just not me. And if you've ever, uh, maybe, maybe you've never even phrased it that way, but if you've ever struggled with that thought of, I mean, you maybe struggle to, to accept Jesus, but that idea of empowerment from the Holy Spirit, you think that's just for a whole other brand of Christian. I want you to understand two things. One, there are no separate tiers of Christians. Right? We are all sinners saved by grace and adopted into God's family as full sons and daughters. Right? God doesn't have any stepsons or stepdaughters. We are all fully and finally brought in. Two, God sends Jesus to us because we're screw-ups. If you had it all together, Jesus didn't need to come. And so God sends Jesus. Jesus lays his life down as a sacrifice. He says that you will be saved by placing your faith in him, that you can be completely and totally forgiven. And then Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to us because we're screw-ups. Because he knows, I've saved you, I've redeemed you, I have given you your identity, but you are now going to be tempted in your weakness to turn away from it. So I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you, and he's going to bear witness with your spirit that you really belong to God. He's going to reveal the truth to you in every season and situation. He's going to release his gifts among you for the building up of the church and the evangelization of the world. He's going to grow his fruit inside of you when you are stretched beyond your natural capabilities to be loving and kind and peaceful and patient and joyful and all of these other things. And he's going to keep showing up and giving you power to share this good news with other people because you can't do it on your own. And so if you feel this morning as if your failure has disqualified you from the power of the Holy Spirit, I would encourage you to flip that on its head and understand your failure and weakness is the precise reason Jesus sends the Spirit to you. And so the spirit-empowered life is not for the select few. It's not for the high attainers or the overachievers, but the power of the Holy Spirit is for every man, woman, teenager, and child who puts their faith in Jesus Christ. And the spirit-empowered life is not about one time I got some goosebumps in a worship service. It's not about one time I saw this one thing happen and it was pretty cool. It's every single day of my life, the Holy Spirit leads me and he guides me and he speaks to me, and he encourages me, and he challenges me, and he comforts me, and he directs me, and I need him in every moment. If Barnabas and Saul needed the daily direction of the Holy Spirit, so do you and I. Now, the other side of that is, well, maybe I did need the Holy Spirit, but God has led me to such tremendous success that now I think I'm good, and he can probably give some attention to other, some of these other people <clears throat> around me, right? Now, if, if you believe that, one, you won't admit it. <clears throat> no one will ever admit it. No one will, no one will be like, who doesn't need the Holy Spirit because you're so awesome? Like, nobody's, nobody's raising their hand at, at that altar call, um, right? No one ever is. But subconsciously, we see it. Because what you see is, is oftentimes in life, in a season of need, there's a desperation that drives you to the Lord. And in seasons of success, it can become very easy to become complacent in your comfort. But what, I, what you know and what I would encourage you to continue to submit to and surrender to is the more of God's blessing you experience, the more success you find in life, the more desperately you need the guidance of the Holy Spirit, 
to steward that in a way that keeps your soul humble and glorifies God. And so you, you might have married the girl. You might have the house. You might have the kids. You might have the job. You might have started the business. You might have finally hit the number in the bank account. You may have earned the scholarship. You might have done everything you had on your to-do list. And yet, if you're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, what you recognize is you need the Spirit's, gui- the Spirit's guidance more desperately today than you have at any other point in your life. Right? Because we will never out-succeed our need for the Holy Spirit. You'll never graduate from a life of spirit dependence. This is what we were called to, and it's how God intends for us to live every day. And then as, as you keep working through, you see that the spirit-empowered life is also a gospel-centered life. It says in verse 5, When they arrived, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. The spirit-directed life is one where everywhere you go, you're looking for opportunities to share the good news of what Jesus has done in you. All right now, now, the Spirit, first of all, makes you a, a gospel-centered person by convicting you of your sin, by revealing Jesus as your Savior, by leading you to confess your sins, and assuring you you've been forgiven of your sins. And then he bears witness with your Spirit. He assures you that you are now the son or the daughter of God. This is the gospel, that we were sinners lost and dying, Jesus comes to save us, and now we have been remade and reborn in the image of God and planted in a community where we belong fully and finally. This is what the Spirit does. But when the Spirit makes us gospel-centered people, it's not just so that we can sit in Bible studies with other believers and study the gospel. It's not just so that we can gather together for worship events or prayer nights to embrace the, the experiential nature of the gospel. It's not just so we can memorize verses or Bible facts to impress others with our knowledge of the gospel. But when we say the spirit-empowered life is a gospel-centered life, what we mean is the gospel becomes the core foundation of who we are and how we see the world. It reframes everything, every argument, every disagreement, every opportunity, every decision we're navigating. It all now runs through this gospel lens. But in addition to that, if a spirit-empowered life is a gospel-centered life, a gospel-centered life always includes sharing the gospel. When Jesus gives the gift of the Holy Spirit at the beginning of Acts, he says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you to be my witnesses. There is a privilege that rests on every believer to embrace the power of the Holy Spirit and to share the good news of what Jesus has done for you with others. Now, now, some of us embrace that easily and naturally, and we love it. Others of us, that's a little bit more of a challenge because it, it really, at its core, it means you have to talk to people. You just, you have to talk to people to share the gospel, right? It, your, your lifestyle is great. Your lifestyle is important, but we share the gospel with our words. Everywhere Paul and Barnabas show up, they show up not just to make friends, not just to make acquaintances, not just to let people think they're nice men who seem to, to desire the good of the community, but they show up for the express purpose of proclaiming the truth of who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and how it makes a difference in the lives of every person who hears them. And for you and I, as we surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit, what we will find is that as we live with spirit awareness every day, the Holy Spirit is creating all kinds of opportunities for us to tell the story of what God has done in our life. 
And it's not, not really complicated. It's not really intimidating. It's just very simple declarations of this is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus has done in my life. And this is what Jesus can do in your life. And what you will discover as you begin to step into these spaces, you might be a little nervous, you might be a little apprehensive, but as you begin to step in the first time and the second and the third time, you're gonna start to see a pattern. And the pattern is everywhere you feel compelled to tell someone else about Jesus is a space that the Holy Spirit has already been working. You've never shared your faith with anyone that God wasn't already drawing to himself. So you, you think of your coworkers, you think of your neighbors, you think of your family members and your friends, you think of those that are likely to come to Jesus, and you think of those that are the most unlikely to ever want to hear the story. And what I will promise you this morning is the Holy Spirit is actively pursuing each and every one of them. And even more than that, I would encourage you to, to think of it this way. That coworker, that neighbor, that friend, that classmate, that student, that teacher that you find in your life and since God may be directing you towards, it is highly probable that there is somewhere, someone in the world that is praying that God will send you to share good news with them. And so your life and your participation in the power of the Holy Spirit creates this divine intersection with the work God is already doing in their life. And the burden isn't on you to convince them. You just get the privilege of telling them your story. And as you tell them your story, your story is the Jesus story. And the Jesus story always invites others into it. I know for, for Angie and I, we have a, a list of family and friends that we've made over the years. Friends we've made over the years, family we've had, obviously, forever. Um, but, but they've always been around, and, and some of them are close, close to surrendering to Jesus. Some of them are still far from surrendering to Jesus. Some of them will tell us they want nothing to do with Jesus. And one of our most common prayers for each of them is, Lord, if, if it's not us, will you surround them with people who will point them to you? So anytime one of them tell us that they're moving into a new house, we start to pray, Lord, will you give them Christians on every side? If they say they're starting a new job, we're praying, Lord, will you surround them with coworkers who know you and love you? Right? If they tell us about new clients that they're starting to serve, we're praying, Lord, will those, will those offices be places where they just encounter the Holy Spirit even as they're walking in to make a sale or to conduct business? And, and as we're praying those, we're also trying to live with an awareness that we have that privilege in our life. That as I go into the community, as I interact with my neighbors, as I interact with my friends, there's a potential every day that I get to be part of an answer that another friend or a family member has been praying for decades or maybe even generations. And so we're just going to walk into those spaces and we're going to understand I, I live and work in the power of the Holy Spirit. The same spirit that rested on Barnabas and Saul rests on me. And, and I don't have to know all the nuances of Greek and Hebrew. I don't have to have the answer to every single question. I just have to know the simple gospel story. And I have to know how it's changed my life. And then I can just start to tell it to others. And as you do, you'll find the more you walk into those opportunities, the quicker you begin to recognize them, and it just becomes a pattern in your life. And this is a pattern that's not reserved for pastors and missionaries for academics or theologians, but it's for every man, woman, teenager, and child who said yes to Jesus and received the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and then, then the story kind of takes a, an abrupt turn because so far it's just a couple missionaries working by the power of the Holy Spirit, preaching the word of God, 
And then we get to verse 6, and we see that a spirit-empowered life confronts evil, and, and it's really kind of abrupt. It says, There they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul, Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God, but Elimus, the sorcerer, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elimus and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? So what happens is Paul and Barnabas find an audience, a, a, a governor of Rome, that wants to hear the message of Jesus. But he's surrounded by someone who's actively working to prevent that message from taking root. Elimus was a false prophet. He was someone who claimed divine knowledge but refused to acknowledge Jesus as the Son of God. He was a sorcerer, some type of magician, charlatan, con artist, fraud, person who engages with demonic powers, some combination of all of those potentially, who uses rituals and formulas to convince others that he can assure their natural success through supernatural means as long as they pay him. And so for Elimus, when Paul and Barnabas show up, it's a threat to his livelihood, a threat to his occupation, a threat to his position of power. And so he begins to work to actively undermine the gospel. Now, you may not think that we have false prophets and sorcerers in the same way. And yet, if you live with gospel awareness, one of the things the Holy Spirit will enable you to do is quickly discern all of the messages in our culture, systems and structures, belief systems and religions that are designed to lead people away from Jesus Christ. And there are no fewer today than there were when Paul and Barnabas were on their missionary journey. And, and so what that means for us today as followers of Jesus is when we're sharing the gospel, there will come a time where we have to confront evil, lies, and deceit, and we must do that. Now, a, a word of warning there, because I think there's a, a small percentage, not just of Christians, but there's a small percentage of people who love to do that kind of stuff. And, and, and we won't ask you to identify yourself. Chances are we already know. Uh, who just love to be right and who love to point out how everyone else is wrong, right? Social media has given platforms to everyone who has this desire, and they can yell about everyone and everything and how they're wrong and leading people astray. But what I want you to understand is the, the calling of believers by the power of the Holy Spirit to confront evil is not primarily a calling to be heresy hunters or to become the morality police of a sinful culture. Paul and Barnabas do not show up and start going around town looking for everything that's wrong with all the people who don't follow Jesus. They show up and they engage in their task of spirit-empowered evangelization. And as they share the good news of Jesus, darkness rises up against them. And as the truth of the gospel confronts the darkness of the enemy, Paul does not shy away from it. And so if there's a small percentage of us who enjoy the confrontation, there's probably a much larger significant portion of us who will avoid the confrontation. Right? We, don't want to, we don't want to tell someone they're wrong. We don't want to tell them that's not the way it is. And yet what we're learning from the scripture is that there will come a point when you are telling people the story of Jesus that there may come objections, there may come uh, other obstacles that other people are throwing in their way. And as a follower of Jesus, you must clearly say there is truth and there are lies. 
Jesus tells us he's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. And in a culture that says you can believe whatever you want and all roads eventually lead to the same place, as followers of Jesus, we still bear a divine responsibility to stand for the truth of the gospel. But again, we're not going out on the offensive trying to destroy the enemies of God. We're just saying, I'm going to tell people about Jesus, and when falsehood or lies pop up, I will speak to them, I will confront them with the goal of continuing to point people to Jesus. Now, Paul does this in an incredibly direct way, a way that probably the Holy Spirit is not going to inspire most of us to do. Because the Holy Spirit inspires Paul to look at Elimus and tell him, you are a child of the devil, right? You don't get much more direct than that. Uh, maybe there's something he could have said, I don't know what it was. And then he, he keeps telling him, you're an enemy of everything that is right, and you're using deceit and trickery to stop the work of God. Right? And, and so again, making it clear, there will come a point that you're going to stand for truth, you're going to point people to Jesus, but again, the ultimate goal is not the destruction of your enemies, it's the salvation of people who don't know Jesus. Paul speaks up because Elimus is making it difficult for the governor to hear the word of God. And so as we do that, we're going to step into those spaces as well. As we live a spirit-empowered life, as we live a gospel-centered life, we're going to recognize the many falsehoods and the deceitful schemes of the enemy that still take place in our culture, and we are going to speak up against those. Parents, this is one of the, the privileges you have with your children of helping them learn from early in life. Hey, there is a way, there is a truth, and there is a life, and it is Jesus Christ, and there are all other kinds of things that are going to try to lead you astray. And so you're trying to help your kids from a young age learn to see the gospel, to hear the gospel, to embrace the gospel, and to filter everything through that gospel lens by the power of the Holy Spirit so that they'll recognize it themselves. And if they don't, then it's your privilege as mom and dad to step in and kind of show them, hey, these things do not line up with what we believe or what God is doing. And then the, the final thing we see, the spirit-empowered life is one that creates results. So as Paul speaks up against Elimus, it creates a space for the gospel to continue to go forward. It says, when the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. This is the, the goal the Holy Spirit has been working toward since he called Barnabas and Saul out of the church in Antioch. In fact, you, you could say that this is part of God's plan from the moment of Saul's conversion on the road to Damascus. Before Saul ever knew who this governor was, before he ever had the idea that he would get on his ship and arrive in his city, the Holy Spirit was arranging the circumstances of Saul's life so that he would encounter Barnabas, so they would one day be planted in the church in Antioch, so he could call them out of there. He could launch them on this missionary journey. They would travel a short path, preaching the gospel in different places, and then they would arrive in the city on the right day, at the right time, to speak the right words that lead to the life of a Roman governor. And from this man, his eternal destiny has changed because of Barnabas and Saul's obedience to the Holy Spirit. And it's a reminder to you and I today that the ultimate goal of a spirit-empowered life is not the elevation of a believer. It's, it's not the reputation of a particular local church over other local churches. It's for the advancement of the kingdom in the heart and mind of every man, woman, teenager, and child in the world. And when we say yes to Jesus and walk by the power of the Holy Spirit, we're attaching our life every day, every moment, every conversation, every relationship to the eternal purposes of God. 
which means everything you do now drips with eternal possibility. Every person you work with and interact with can become the very reason God has directed your life on this course for the past couple of decades. Every new restaurant you walk into, every new place of business you inhabit become places where you may discover how God has been leading and guiding to this very moment to change someone's life for all of eternity. Someday if, if we could ask God that question, I think he'd be able to pull it back and show us in our lives. Here are the dozens or hundreds or thousands of other people who walked by the power of the Holy Spirit, who listened to his voice, who did the things that I called them to do, and here's how I wove all of their stories together to result in your salvation. Right? We're all the result of someone else's spirit-empowered life. We're all the result of someone else's obedience to the Lord. And as we read through Acts, we're not just remembering what God did then, we're inviting him to do it again. And what we see in Acts chapter 13 is if we just embrace some very simple practices, the Holy Spirit uses our lives to achieve the purposes of God. If you'll stand with me, I want to pray for us, and then the band's going to come back to lead us in a final song this morning. Jesus, we come to you today. We're grateful for the scriptures. We believe they are the words of life to us. We believe they are how you reveal yourself and how you reveal your plans. Lord, today we have heard that the Holy Spirit speaks and moves, leads and guides. That you have a plan to use our lives to achieve your purposes. And so Lord, we come to surrender to you today. If there's anyone with us in the room or online who's not yet surrendered their life to you, Jesus, I pray today would be the day that they confess their sins, they receive you as their savior, and they take on their new identity that you give them as your son, or as your daughter. And Lord, for those who have surrendered to you, I pray today that you would pour out in a fresh way the power of your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, will you come and speak to us in personal, in transformational ways? Will you begin to reveal God's plan and God's path? Will you help us to anchor ourselves in community, to embrace the gospel, and to to just live with the joy of knowing that all of our days matter because all of our days have been arranged by you and are being used by you. So Holy Spirit, regardless of our need, regardless of our success or failure, we invite you to speak clearly and powerfully to each one of us this morning in ways that we can hear and respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.